Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's Dharma Talk is entitled Giving Ourselves the Gift of Generosity by Lama Adam Berner. Generosity is a primary teaching of the Buddha because it helps us tackle attachment head on, and through eliminating attachment, we can overcome suffering. If you like our Dharma Talk series, please consider donating to Columbus Karma Texum Choling at columbusktc.org. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the 1130 Dharma Talks at Columbus KTC in your home. Um, Merry Christmas and happy holidays. And I hope everyone's uh, had some uh, good times and and been surrounded by love and support and all those good things this time of year. And if not, um, we're keeping you in our prayers and know that you have a community with us at KTC. So um, today's topic, I knew I was going to be giving this talk the day after Christmas. So uh, I knew that it would be some busy times <laughs> running right up to when I had to give the talk. And usually I uh, kind of block out the three days before and, and sort of live inside the talk and, and give it a lot of run throughs and things like that. I didn't have quite the chance to do that this time around. Um, so I chose a, a, a more traditional uh, topic and presentation. So today we're going to talk about generosity. And I went with uh, basically uh, Gempopa's presentation from uh, Jewel Ornament of Liberation. So that's uh, basically what we're going to be talking about. Uh, and the reason is that I, I think we don't think about it enough, but we actually mention generosity multiple times every day if we're, if we're a Buddhist, because it's in the refuge prayer. So we'll talk a little bit about today, but there's, there's a reason for that. You know, generosity is one of the main teachings of the Buddha, and it's ironically one of the best things we can do for ourselves because uh as we know attachment is one of the main issues it, it, it is the main issue it's the cause of our suffering so when the more we can um overcome attachment and work with attachment head on uh, the closer we get to enlightenment and the closer we get to enlightenment the more we're able to actually help other people so it's kind of funny how this thing that we think of as being doing things for other people actually benefits our ourselves in a way, you know? So uh, that's the main topic today. So why I wanted to, to take Gampopa's approach is because he's just so clear. The Jewel Ornament of Liberation, by the way, there's, there's multiple translations. Uh, the most current one that I think most people turn to is this Kempo Kuncho Galtzen Rinpoche translation. And so that's the one I'm using, also Tronga Rinpoche's presentation. And um, it's one of those books that you, if you are at all interested in studying this kind of stuff, it's, it's one of the first and, and primary things you should have in your library because it is what we call a Lam Rim text. It covers all the stages of the path. And so pretty much everything's covered in here. I'll show you mine. I, I tabbed it out. I love it getting nerdy with stuff like this so you got all my tabs for all the different topics so uh easy reference 
But uh, there's a whole chapter in here on generosity and also each of the other six paramitas. And we'll talk about those today. But the reason I wanted to, to work with this in particular is that uh, it really gets into the why, you know, like not just the how, but the why. And I think that's super important because uh, and that's really what the Buddha was getting at when he said to study his teachings, to analyze them for yourself rather than just believe them, you know, because he said them, because um, when we can get an actual uh, understanding, when we in our own mind, something clicks like, oh, that's true. Uh, then our motivation gets a lot easier. It becomes much easier to do stuff when you know uh, in your heart that it's really true rather than just kind of trusting somebody saying it. So getting into the why is, is really important with all this stuff. And um, so that's something that he touches on a lot in this chapter in Jewel Ornament. So realizing how to perfect generosity is really important because we can get it, you know, especially this time of year with Christmas and generosity is kind of the theme. Uh, but there's also a lot of uh, what we might call like impure generosity that happens, you know, giving things because we expect a result or um, to show someone how much we have, you know, there's, there's lots of different ways that the generosity can uh, not serve the goal of uh, awakening. So um, we'll get into that today about stabilizing uh, the recognition of, of why we need to practice perfect generosity. So uh, the other thing that I'm basing my talk on today is uh, the Kangyu Sami Ling Monastery in Scotland has a really great Karma Kagyu home study Dharma course. And I did this 10 years ago. Uh, and it's uh, actually made, it's, it's a little tricky to find. It's not the best website, uh, but you don't need to use the website for the class. But um, I made a tiny URL. Thanks, Kevin, for teaching me how to shorten these uh, websites up. So tinyurl.com slash course. So if you go there, it'll take you right to the site for uh, Sami Ling's Karmakagyu Home Study Dharma Course. And it's a three-year program. You get a module a month. The modules are like 50 pages or so, and they cover the whole Karmakagyu story. With uh, The teachings are based uh, on Taisitu Rinpoche, Trongo Rinpoche, and Kepal Sultram Jamso Rinpoche. And I highly recommend it. So if it's something that you have an interest in, uh, check it out. Uh, February, they're doing a new intake. Uh, and so like they do like kind of school years. So this next school year starts in February. So if anyone's interested and you want, uh, one thing you can do is you can start local study groups. Uh, so I'm happy to help uh, with that if anyone wants to study that. Uh, I really liked it when I did it. And Lama Kathy helped me out as I worked my way through. Um, so it's really useful. Um, there's not much like that available, you know, that goes at that in depth. And you can do it at your own speed. You get things mailed to you, emailed to you, and you can either read them the month they come or you can put them off. You don't have to be really involved any more than you want to be. So that's a nice thing about it. So to bring things, to put a, a, a base on all this, a foundational base, we know that the Buddha taught the end uh, about suffering and the end of suffering. All the teachings of the Buddha are in some way related to that. It can get complex. There's all kinds of fields of study. There's cosmology, there's philosophy, there's psychology, there's all these different kinds of meditation. But at the end of the day, what the Buddha taught was suffering and the end of suffering. And the way he taught that was with the Four Noble Truths. Uh, the first time he taught, he, he gave this teaching on these four truths that are known to those 
who are noble or those who have achieved a level of realization. And those truths are that uh, suffering is a part of life, that like everything we experience is in some way tinged with a, a discomfort, like things not being quite right. Like we always have this sense that something's just a little off and that can extend all the way up to very extreme suffering, like um, death and, and sickness and things like that too. But it's also just, you know, feeling like uh, sad that the holidays are gonna end soon, you know, like that's, that's part of it. So uh, there's suffering. And then we also know that suffering has a cause. That is the second noble truth. And that cause is attachment or clinging or fixation of any kind. And so uh, that is what is to be abandoned. Like we have to abandon attachment of all kinds. And that's how we can achieve the cessation of suffering, which is the third noble truth. And then all the other stuff we talk about is basically this fourth noble truth, which is the path. And that's what's to be relied upon. So we need to understand suffering um, as opposed to abandoning suffering. We need to understand the suffering and instead abandon its cause, which is attachment. And so if we are suffering and we can locate where the attachment is, that's what needs to be abandoned. Uh, and then we can achieve the cessation of suffering, which is, again, what the Buddha taught, suffering and the end of suffering. And there's a way to do that, which is the path. So knowing that attachment is the cause of suffering, attachment, the Buddha taught, uh, is primarily attachment to self, like a concept of self but that arises in, in different ways. So uh, I think when we first hear attachment, we usually just think of wanting stuff, you know, or wanting to protect our stuff, being attached to our stuff, uh, being attached to our territory, being attached to our preferences. Uh, there's lots of ways attachment can come up in terms of like individual things, but there's also this idea of, the, of our concept of self being static uh, and not changing and, uh, and feeling maybe like the world is pushing up against what we believe to be a static self and trying to somehow crack that static uh, idea of who we are, uh, which isn't true anyway. So uh, there's attachment to self, there's attachment to stuff. There's also like just attachment to extremes, you know, like wanting to be certain of something or not caring at all about things. There's lots of different ways that attachment arises, but, um, as the Buddha taught, uh, the cause of suffering is attachment. So that's what we need to look for when we're suffering is the attachment. And that's why he said we need to understand suffering because through understanding its mechanism, then we're better able to uh, identify the attachment. So uh, another important topic to remember with this today is karma, you know, and uh, habitual patterns and tendencies because each time we uh, act or think, uh, we reinforce and create further uh, tendencies. It becomes a little bit easier to do everything we do when we do it, you know? So if we, if we do something negative, it's a little easier to do that negative thing again. Uh, we kind of uh, grease the way to, down that negative path, you know? And so, uh, we need to be thinking about these, the patterns happening in our lives, you know, think about these habits as they happen and, and be aware of them so that we can course correct, you know, so that we can actually uh, do things and think things that support our goals. And so knowing that attachment is an issue and knowing that 
our habits are frequently motivated by attachment of some form and that attachment causes suffering so that we need to be working with the attachment to undo the suffering. Uh, one of the main concepts that we work with in, uh, in Karmakagyu Buddhism, in Tibetan Buddhism, uh, is bodhicitta, this mind of awakening. And uh, bodhi is, is uh, uh, awaken and mind is uh, citta. So this mind of awakening. And this is uh, not just the wish to help others. It's specifically the wish to attain Buddhahood for the benefit of all sentient beings, because that's the best way we can help others. Like it's it's great to want to help others, but we have to you know be capable. So uh, so the bodhicitta aspiration is is the wish to attain Buddhahood for the benefit of all beings, and so cultivating bodhicitta has two aspects. There's the aspiration aspect and the action aspect and the aspiration aspect is wanting to attain buddhahood for the benefit of beings we want to help beings but we know that the the way we can benefit the most beings in the most effectively is through awakening ourselves you know it's kind of like the idea of if you're drowning with someone you know like uh you're not going to be very able to to help them if you're both if you both can't swim and are sinking you know so someone needs to you know, uh, attain the power to be able to help others. And we do that through awakening. So the aspiration to do that is the aspiration aspect of bodhicitta, aspiration bodhicitta. And then there's also the action aspect, which is uh, be the method of doing that, like the practical side of it. How do we achieve that aspiration to attain Buddhahood for the benefit of all beings? And that's described as the uh, training in the six paramitas. And, uh, the English translation usually for paramita is perfection. So you may have heard the six perfections. And we'll talk some more about those in a, in a moment. But uh, those are generosity, right conduct, forbearance, joyous effort, meditation, and wisdom. There's lots of uh, translations of these. So you may also hear like generosity, discipline, patience, diligence, meditation, and wisdom. We're talking about the same things, just different words. And... Um, it's a fascinating topic, translation. You know, there's a lot of words that are in other languages, particularly languages that uh, where Buddhism's really prevalent, where they have words that really fit what a topic is. And we don't necessarily have those words in our language. So a lot of times that's why you'll hear different translations of words is because uh, people are trying to capture the actual meaning of these words from other languages in our own language, and it's imperfect. So that's why you'll hear a lot of times uh, different words like uh, right conduct instead of discipline. Ethics is another way to say that. Um, so, for example, uh, just a little digression because I, I love this topic. Uh, uh, what we might say discipline or ethics or right conduct, uh, what the meaning actually is trying to capture is what's happening in our, our minds and what we do with it. So... Um, one of the reasons that I favor right conduct is because uh, ethics or discipline can um, perhaps lead one to think that it's about what we think is right, you know, and what we uh, and having some sort of sense of being uh, morally superior, you know, or something like that. But at the end of the day, that conduct, that that ethics or that discipline is about what we do, you know, acting in ways that accord 
with the teachings. So um, none of none of those translations are incorrect at all. Uh, they're just uh, different ways of trying to look to get at that actual meaning. So um, so that's just a little digression about translation. So um, we're going to say the refuge prayer, and all this is kind of to lead up to the idea that each time we say the refuge prayer, we talk about all the stuff that I just mentioned. You know, we we start out by saying we take refuge in the Buddha and the Dharma and the Sangha until we reach enlightenment. So by saying that, one way of looking at that is we're saying I'm going to stop going for refuge or for safety to all these things that uh, rise from attachment and you know, all the things that I'm attached to that don't actually help me progress on the path. I'm going to stop going to those things for my safety and my protection. And I'm going to go to the most dependable source, like the source that is not wrapped up in all that attachment, uh, the source that is not also drowning with me, <laughs> you know, like I'm going to go uh, to, to help from uh, to these sources, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha that are outside of this suffering. And so we say that in the first two lines, I take refuge in the Buddha and the Dharma and the Sangha until I reach enlightenment. And then the second two lines are, by the merit of accomplishing the six perfections, may I attain Buddhahood for the benefit of all beings. But what's actually said, we say Dagi Jin Sok, and Jin is uh, generosity, and Sok is in the others. So while you sometimes see a, a translation that says, um, by the merit of accomplishing the six perfections, which is what it means, what it's actually saying is by accomplishing generosity and the others. So each day when we say this prayer, we're referencing generosity, and we're saying that in order to accomplish the aspiration of attaining Buddhahood for the benefit of all beings, we need to accomplish generosity and the others, uh, the other six perfections. So uh, each day we're referencing this in, in the, in the uh, refuge prayer. When As Buddhists, we say this three times in the morning and three times in the evening, and maybe all day long if we're, uh, if we're on our game. So uh, I think that's really something to think about because sometimes we kind of forget the stuff we're saying, particularly when we're chanting in another language. You know, it's easy to kind of get in the habit and the language sounds nice and pretty and we kind of just say it and blurt it out. But we need to remember that every day we're saying... Um, where we're going for refuge, we're saying what we want to do, attain Buddhahood for the benefit of all beings, and we're telling ourselves exactly how to do it, you know, and included in there, the one particular action that's included in our refuge prayer is generosity. That's like the one main thing we actually literally mention, you know, so uh, I think that's really interesting. Okay, so let's do the refuge prayer. We'll do um, once in English, once in Tibetan, and once in English. And then we'll um, begin begin the teaching that started 20 minutes ago. <laughs> okay. To the Buddha, Dharma, and Supreme Assembly, I go for refuge until awakening. Through the merit of my performance of generosity and so forth, may I accomplish Buddhahood for the benefit of beings. Sangye chidang soki chodnamla. Janchu Padu Dagni Kapsuji Dagi Jin Soki Pesunamhi Drola Pinchir Sangye Drupashu To the Buddha, Dharma, and Supreme Assembly, I go for refuge until awakening. Through the merit of my performance of generosity and so forth, may I accomplish Buddhahood for the benefit of beings. 
Padin, so we la marim poche, da kichi wo pede denjula. Cadden chimpogone jason de. Cousin tugging a jupsa do so. Okay. And I thought I wasn't going to have enough to talk about today. <laughs> Okay, so uh, getting into the uh, traditional presentation, uh, first we should talk about paramitas. So as we said, uh, that can be translated as perfection, but perfection doesn't quite capture the meaning because uh, what we're really talking about here is, is a transcendence. So uh, it's like a, a common analogy that's used is getting to like the other shore. I mean, like this is what's going to get us across this uh, turbulent river to the other shore of awakening. So uh, it's it's different than just doing the thing. It, it, there's a, a much more to perfecting these, and uh, the transcend. They should have a transcendent quality. And what I mean by that is that they should bring us effects that lead us out of samsara, that lead us out of suffering. So we could say, okay, if I give money to someone, then they may be nice to me. Um, but that isn't a, a, a transcendent generosity. You know, like that's thinking in terms of a transaction and benefiting ourselves. And uh, it's not a, a, the paramita of, um, of generosity. And that's similar with all of the, you know, the others, uh, generosity and um, right conduct and forbearance. So, um, Ordinarily, generosity brings good consequences within this uh, realm of suffering, but we need to uh, practice generosity that frees us from samsara. And um, so what really makes the difference between an ordinary generosity and the paramita of generosity has nothing to do with what happens outside of our mind. It has everything to do with our mind, you know, like what's going on in our mind in the course of the practice of generosity. Um, and uh, there's a really good quote, uh, Ken Holmes put together the, the uh, Sami Ling home study course, and he includes this really great, great quote from Maitreya Buddha. And he, he mentions how uh, a lot of times when we talk about enlightenment or Buddhahood, uh, there's not really a lot to say, you know, or you, your eyes kind of glaze over because it, we're talking about like non-duality and things like that. But Maitreya Buddha actually gave us a really easy way of describing what enlightenment is. And it is when all six paramitas are absolutely perfect, someone is enlightened. And it's as simple as that. So when we have uh, perfected transcendent generosity, transcendent right conduct, transcendent forbearance, uh, diligence or joyous effort, uh, transcendent meditation and transcendent wisdom. If all of those are perfected, that is an enlightened individual. So uh, if you can imagine uh, perfect generosity, then you, you have a really good idea of what, uh, what selflessness is really like, you know, what overcoming attachment is really like. Um, and the paramitas are explained uh, in there's there's several ways of talking about their order and uh the the i think the one we'll talk about first is is um how they lead one to the next through so through the practice of of transcendent generosity the practice of transcendent right conduct uh perfected conduct uh comes very easily so as through our practice of generosity our 
our behavior, uh, maintaining discipline and things like that becomes much easier because we've cleared away the self-clinging. And similarly, when we've perfected right conduct, we become much uh, more able to cope with situations and not just wait them out. And that gets at, at the, uh, another translation thing in terms of like patience, uh, patience, forbearance. Um, Ken Holmes points at uh, coping as being uh, an important point in terms of the meaning of that. Because when we say patience, it sort of implies, you know, just waiting something out, you know, like, oh, I'll just, you know, I can hang out here and I'll keep myself cool until this is over, you know, and <laughs> hopefully I don't say anything that I shouldn't and this will be over soon. You know, that's not what we're talking about with uh, forbearance. We're talking about a better ability to, to work with our situation to cope. And so the more we're able to perfect forbearance, the better we're able to exert ourselves, which is uh, diligence, the perfection of diligence. Uh, so we have to, so we can see just from that presentation that we have to cultivate generosity in order to cultivate all the rest. Like that's the, the first thing that we really need to work on is, is our generosity. And then another way to describe their order is they go from, from gross to subtle. So, uh, Generosity is the least subtle of, of the paramitas, meaning it's the easiest to cultivate. Uh, so that's another good reason to jump on that, you know, is uh, we can that that's really the easiest one to get at is generosity and all the others follow from that. So, um, for instance, if you feel like you have issues with your your patience, your coping skills, um, you need to work on your generosity. That's a good place to start. Uh, it seems a little weird, like it might be like a whole separate thing, but uh, but these arise one from the other. So a good place to start if you're having trouble working on your, your forbearance is maybe work on some ways of being generous. And um, or if you feel like your meditation practice has stalled, you know, maybe work on your generosity a little bit. That's always a great place to come back to and start. And um, we'll discuss some ways of doing that uh, towards the end, hopefully. Uh, or maybe this will be a two-part talk. We'll find out. But uh, generosity itself is a translation of the Sanskrit word dana, which uh, the meaning of dana is, is, is actually to sweep away, as in uh, sweeping away greed and clinging and attachment, self-attachment in particular. So I want to read a couple things kind of straight from, from the Sami Ling course because they're really well stated. And there are five points uh, that Trungpa Rinpoche has emphasized uh, is related to generosity. And the first is uh, generosity was one of the Buddha's main teachings. It's something that everyone can understand and is a vital quality that forms a basis for so much that follows, especially the great journey away from self-centeredness. Dana has been the strong tradition of uh, Dana has been the strong tradition of giving an offering in all Buddhist countries. Where Buddhism is truly lived, there is a great spirit of sharing and community. And the second is uh, the importance of developing a generous state of mind above all. The gauge of our generosity is not the quantity of the gift or the effect on the receiver. Those are important but transient, whereas the liberation of the mind is the ongoing work. It is easy to give whatever we do not cling to or even to give what we are attached to if the giving makes us look good. So this is all about working with the mind. Third, uh, therefore, training in generosity needs to tackle clinging head on. 
It must gradually extend the boundaries of generosity by reducing the habit of self-interested thinking. Uh, when we have finished Gimpopa's teaching, we shall return to some of the method in more detail. Uh, oh, this is unrelated. Okay, and then the fourth one is, uh, generosity, therefore, is a training in total letting go. One of the main areas of which, in everyday life, is to cultivate non-expectation of return. This could be uh, some sort of karmic return, like it could be actual return, uh, like financial uh, or some kind of benefit for ourselves. But it could also be like thinking about future lives and having uh, benefit in future lives. It could be the smugness uh, or inner pat on the back, he says. We give ourselves in the inner dialogue. So uh, I think what he's pointing out here is this idea of like patting ourselves on the back for being generous and thinking like, wow, I'm really special for doing that. Um, so letting go of that non-expectation of return means moving on. And uh, the last point he shares from Tranga Rinpoche is that one of the most important trainings in Bodhisattva generosity is that of dedication of virtue. As mentioned above, we should become the, uh, which should become the automatic reflex concluding an action, letting go totally and moving on. If our thoughts of attachment were like sticky elastics or spider's threads, those threads would be broken with absolutely no more power. We are like a butterfly that somehow escaped the spider's web undamaged. So we dedicate the merit and then we move on. So those were uh, five points that he pointed out uh, that Ken Holmes points out in the Sami Link course related to generosity. So to, to get into the more traditional sort of uh, exposi exposition of this, uh, there are three kinds of generosity. I should say to the, the actual definition as it's stated in, in, in uh, Jewel Ornament is that uh, a mind co-emergent with non-attachment with that motivation, fully giving things. That's the Kempo Kunchuk Jaltsen Rinpoche's uh, translation of, of dana, gener of generosity. A mind co-emergent with non-attachment with that motivation, fully giving things. And Trunga Rinpoche says, the definition of generosity is the pure wish to give somebody something in order to help him or her. This wish is not tainted by any attachment for what you're giving. And then we can talk about that uh, generosity in three ways. And they are material generosity, uh, the generosity of protection, or another way to say that is supportive generosity and uh, generosity of dharma, giving dharma. The first two of those help us in this life, material generosity and supportive generosity. And uh, the generosity of dharma helps us in this life and future lives. So uh, material generosity, there's uh, four ways of uh, knowing if you're, that generosity is impure. And they are uh, your impure motivation this would be like a wrong or inferior motivation, which would be like giving in order to harm someone or giving with a desire for fame uh, or in competition. Another impure, uh, another impure means would be, uh, where's B? there we go, impure materials. So this would be like giving, um, like they use the example of poison you know, like giving someone poison, something that's going to hurt them. But of course, there are, uh, you have to look at the situation. So sometimes there are, uh, poisons could be medicine, you know, so in those situations, that would be different. Another impure form of generosity would be an impure recipient. 
which would be like giving uh, to uh, they use the example in in jewel ornament of uh, to not give your body or pieces of your body to demons because they ask for this with a harmful motivation. Um, so the idea is giving to someone who's not going to use it for, for good things. And then the fourth impure means would be uh, the method. So giving and with like uh, trying to be generous uh, while you're angry or unhappy. Uh, I think Chang Rinpoche mentions like just throwing something at somebody here, take it, you know, like those would be impure means of generosity. But the three pure means would be um, pure material, pure recipient, and pure method. So pure material would be like, uh, uh, let's see, inside material. I'm going to look at Trunga Rinpoche has a lot of time more clear about this. Pure method, pure giving. Um, pure objects, meaning uh, what uh, giving what's appropriate. Uh, pure receiver, meaning the person that you give it to is appropriate, such as a spiritual guide or the three jewels or people in need. Um, and pure method, giving with a pure motivation, with devotion and respect, without bias in whatever is required. Um, so those are the three pure means. And then the second, so that was material generosity. Uh, the second kind of generosity would be uh, what's sometimes called protective, the generosity of protection. Uh, but I think that I like the supportive generosity uh, designation a little bit better because um, it is, uh, in, in the grossest form, you know, protecting lives is the best thing we can do. The Buddha taught, you know, that of all relative good actions, saving beings' lives is the most beneficial. Protecting people is the most beneficial. But um, in this, uh, the, the home study course, one thing that's pointed out is that the sharing of one's strength uh, is supportive generosity. And that's also a good thing. And, and it's also more so than ever these days, he says, the gift of time, it, which can range from cheering up those who are feeling down uh, through to starting or becoming involved with forward-looking projects to help people who are threatened by flood or disease and so forth. Uh, he says. So it's this idea of like it's just being supportive of others and offering our time is often how that uh, can manifest. You know, just being there for people is a form of generosity. And the last form is uh, is giving Dharma. And there, this is explained in four points. And this is one that we have to be really careful about. This is one that still scares me <laughs> just being here today. But um, we have to be really careful about giving dharma. And there's four points that have to we have to pay attention to. And they are the person receiving it. And that is, uh, in terms of the person receiving the dharma, they have to want to hear it. Uh, they have to have respect for it and for the person teaching it. And, uh, and it's stated in here that it's usually considered a wiser thing to abstain from talking about it to those without respect for it even if they do respect it in general, but not the person speaking about it, they will be unable to listen respectfully and there will be conflicting feelings. Uh, the second point, uh, as we talked about the person, the second is the motivation. So that means our motivation for sharing the Dharma should be without concern for honor, praise, or fame. And that our motivation should be compassion. 
Like it should always be the wish to eliminate suffering. Then the third point is that the Dharma needs to be authentic, unerring, true to the scriptures um, or the Lama's instructions. And it also has to be appropriate, which means uh, according to the capacities and the interests of the listener. And that's one of the things, you know, when, when you hear about the, the Buddha's speech, you know, that's one of the remarkable qualities of the Buddha's speech is he was able to teach to all levels of practitioners um, and all kinds of practitioners at once. And they each heard according to their own, um, their own place, you know, their own needs. And then the fourth point is the actual presentation. And uh, I think it's Changa Rinpoche who says, like, it shouldn't be an ordinary conversation. You know, like it, it there should, and in some of these, like in the, in the jewel ornament, Kempo Kuncho Gautzen's translation, they go into like, uh, and traditionally they go into what the setting should be like, you know, and, and setting up a Dharma throne and all those types of things. Uh, but, but really what we're getting at here is it's just, it's, we're not just talking about normal stuff here. This is important stuff and there should be some levity to the, or not levity, some, uh, seriousness to the situation, you know? So uh, it also has to, and this one I think about a lot. This has been really good for me going through this, by the way, digression. Again, I think uh, I've heard other teachers say this recently in our Dharma talks as well, but a lot of times this teaching is, is uh, secretly <laughs> really for uh, myself, you know, <laughs> like reminding myself of these ideas, you know, uh, because I, I certainly don't follow them perfectly, but I'm, I'm trying. And it's, so it's good to get into this, particularly this particular point for me, uh, because to get back to, to uh, the generosity of Dharma, the fourth point is the actual presentation. And one aspect of that is that it should be practical. Uh, and one of, the, one of these sources here said it, it's, it's, uh, if, if we're talking about eliminating a thing, we need to explain how to eliminate it. And if it's about cultivating a thing, then the listener needs to go away knowing how to cultivate it. So it is very, it's, because we can get into really esoteric stuff, you know, here talking about um, stuff that, uh, you know, may be beneficial, but if we can't apply it to people's lives, it's it's not as helpful. So I'm always aspiring to, to give information that's helpful, you know. So uh, then there are uh, the last topic here maybe the, close to the last year is talking about increasing generosity. So, uh, and one way of talking about that is uh, through insight into our true nature. And uh, if you've read or heard much about Buddha nature uh, and ultimate truth, you know that our nature is uh, empty and lucid or limitless and, um, and clear, you know? So it's sort of like this uh, space without reference point um, and without end, you know, just uh, no reference point space that also has a knowing quality to it. So realizing that there's no reference points ultimately and our ultimate nature, uh, remembering as we practice generosity, the three spheres. And those, that's a, a, a phrase that refers to subject, object, and action, or uh, doer, done to and what is done you know so if we if we're giving money to someone you know we are the the uh the, the doer uh the money is what's given you know and then the recipient is the done to and so we need if we can remember that our true nature is limitless without reference point it's non-conceptual and therefore non-dual 
um, the three spheres are not actually separate to begin with. So um, enlightened awareness would recognize the inseparability of all of these things. You know, so while we may not have stable uh, awareness of our, our uh, ultimate nature, we can still conceptually remember that those three spheres are not separate. And we can get that conceptually. And we are a long way from stabilizing it. Um, if, if, we, if it was stabilized, we'd be capable of being generous towards anyone in any way, anytime. So that's just one of the, I'm sure, many ways that we, we realize we're not quite there yet. <laughs> so, uh, but just being aware of the three spheres and their inseparability as we practice generosity is a big development for us. Uh, it's, it's a way uh, that a correct practice of generosity can impact our karma. You know, so we talked earlier about habitual patterns and how when we, uh, when we act and think, we uh, smooth the way towards doing that again. So when we generally are giving, if we're giving uh, without thinking about the inseparability of the three spheres, then we're giving in a transactional way. We're thinking, if I do this, then I'll receive that in return. And that's a, a way that it um, that actually uh, reinforces our attachment and strengthens our attachment. So in other words, increases our suffering. But if in the course of being generous, we can recall the inseparability of the three spheres, we can impact that uh, positive karma in that way. We can uh, make a new habit, begin to build this habit of remembering our ultimate nature and remembering uh, the inseparability of uh, doer, done to, and uh, what is done. So um, building the habit uh, of recalling the inseparability of the three spheres uh, supports our cultivating enlightened awareness. And that's the awareness that recalls our true nature as it is. And um, this is an interesting way, you know, I, I've, you know, picking these talk titles, there's always, a, I always like imagine seeing like uh, those billboards at churches where there's always like some kind of cheesy talk title that somebody came up with. And it always makes me chuckle a little bit because I love a good pun and all that stuff. But uh, but yeah, so naming this talk, giving ourselves the gift of generosity. This is kind of funny, right? Because um, it, this is a funny way that remembering the three spheres actually benefits ourselves because it undermines our deluded conception of a self. You know, just through practicing generosity and remembering the inseparability of the three spheres, we're actually beginning to undermine the idea that we're an independent self at all anyway. And ultimately, there is no self at all uh, or, or, or other or action. And, um, and being generous helps us realize that, you know. So I think that's kind of, that, that's kind of what I was getting at. That's the little joke I made with the talk title. So, uh, so that was um, one way of increasing generosity with um, insight into our true nature. Another way is through uh, spiritual understanding. And so uh, a way of doing that is uh, before, this is about intention initially. So before we do an action, we do it with the intention to bring all beings to enlightenment. And we can do this with any you know action that we, any, any type of generosity that we want to perform. We just make the intention that it will be of benefit to all beings and, and bring them all to enlightenment. And then during the, um, the giving or the generosity, the act of generosity, we uh, act without any attachment to the gift. 
So let go of any attachment to whatever it is we're giving, whether it's time or money or an object or protection or dharma or anything. Just let go of the attachment of it um, during, uh, during the act. And then afterwards, cultivating what we mentioned before, which is no expectation of result. So uh, just letting it go, uh, not expecting anything at all in return. So we talked about increasing through insight into our true nature. We talked about increasing through increasing through spiritual understanding. And the last way is through dedication, which is dedicating the merit to the enlightenment of all beings. Uh, and a, a positive action, uh, undedicated, like so if we don't dedicate the merit of an action, but it is a positive action, it will lead to a positive result at some point. That is a positive karma but it's not going to get us out of samsara. It's, it continues samsara spinning, you know what I mean? Like it's a positive action and it will lead to something good later, but it doesn't help us transcend. So uh, it, it will be exhausted basically. So what happens is we create a cause, at some point the result will happen and it'll fizzle out. It's a positive result, but it's gonna go away because we exhaust it. Now, dedicating is so special because it makes the merit inexhaustible. So when we dedicate, we do something positive and we dedicate that virtue to the benefit of all sentient beings, it, it makes that immeasurable. <clears throat> and so that merit can never be destroyed. And so that's one of the reasons why dedicating is so important uh, after any positive action. So perfecting, really uh, making these paramitas paramitas uh, needs to be done with an understanding of our true nature, our limitless nature, uh, and compassion. So when we're practicing generosity with an understanding of emptiness and compassion, uh, that action will be a pure action. Like we will have purified and made perfect the generosity. And the result of that ultimately will be Buddhahood. Temporarily, uh, it can lead to positive uh, results. You know, generosity, material generosity can lead to affluence. And supportive generosity leads to uh, immunity from harm, from negative forces and obstacles. And uh, teaching Dharma, it said, will cause one to soon meet the Buddhas. So there are temporary results, and there are ultimately the ultimate result of Buddhahood. But we need to make sure that these, excuse me, these actions are transcendent, meaning that they are uh, that are done with the understanding of emptiness and they're done with compassion. Uh, those are the two aspects they need. Now, in terms of some uh, just general ideas, so I, th I feel like I gave a lot of really practical ways of working generally with, with generosity, and I wanted to just share some particular ideas of, uh, of practices of generosity, too. So uh, shrine offerings is something uh, many of us do in the morning and, uh, and take them down in the evening. So when we make offerings, uh, I think it's a really good practice to uh, remember the things we talked about today. You know, uh, remember the uh, the inseparability of the three spheres. Uh, also, to make aspirations that accompany those offerings. You know, so if you're thinking about the inseparability of the three spheres as you offer, maybe make the aspiration that through making those offerings, all beings will recognize the inseparability of the three spheres. So. And there are lots of kinds of aspirations you can make. This, the, the simple ones would be things like pouring water and thinking like, may all beings be free of suffering and come to perfect Buddhahood, you know? So 
the idea with this this one for me is is really just uh, mindfully offering, you know, uh, literally offering something, thinking about it as you're offering, and putting it in the right pure context of emptiness and compassion. Uh, you can also be creative with your offerings. I, I have to catch myself on this sometimes because I do kind of just get in the habit of doing the same stuff on my shrine every day. But, you know, Christmas just happened and it may be a little bit too late on this. But if you got gifts or when you receive gifts, gifts can go on your shrine first. You know, you can offer them to the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas first. Um, and then at the end of the day, imagine that the Buddhas returned them to you, you know, for your use. So uh, that's a great thing to do when you get something special, you know, is to uh, take that and, and offer that on the shrine for the benefit of beings. And then you can have it, uh, you know, at the end of the day. But the idea is that it, that's a value to you. So that's a great offering. It's a particularly good offering to make on your shrine. Uh, another thing that's really easy is uh, smoke offerings. Uh, I do smoke offerings every day. There's traditional song offering is, is the traditional offering. And there's a, a text you can chant and all that stuff. Um, that would be a fun program to do at some point, mental note. Uh, but you can also just take some incense outside and, and make an offering, you know. And the way that you do that would be uh, to, when you light it, to consecrate it with the mantra Om Ah Hong. And Kimpo Carter Rinpoche has taught um, thinking about offering to the four classes of recipients. So those are the Buddhas, the enlightened beings, um, offering to them. Uh, they're the recipients of offerings. Then there's uh, the Dharma protectors, and they are recipients of qualities, uh, all good qualities. And then there's uh, offering to all uh, sentient beings in the six realms. And uh, they're the recipients of compassion and then um, offering to all those with, to whom we owe a karmic debt. And they're the recipients of repayment. So we're repaying the karmic debt to those beings. And uh, I love doing smoke offerings. So uh, sometimes I do several in a day. So uh, that's, a, that's a fun generosity practice. Uh, there's also just mental offerings, you know, offering things that you see that are great, offering other people's happiness and success. Uh, you're not stealing it from them, right? You're just mentally uh, rejoicing in it and wishing that other people can have it. So anytime you see or experience a good thing, that can be offered to the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas for the benefit of all sentient beings. So uh, mentally offering um, throughout your day, uh, hopefully more and more frequently, is a great practice of generosity. Another, I think, is um, seeding ground, like with a, with a C, you know, giving up ground. Uh, and I thought of this one while I was driving because, uh, you know, so I, I definitely have an instinct to, to um, I used to feel, I, I can't remember what I used to call it. It's just coming back to me. I used to have like a name for how I drove. This was like 20 years ago. And it was like something like an enforcer or something. Awful awful stuff but like i just because I, I didn't want people to pass i thought it was i was a real rule follower and i thought it was wrong to pass on the right so i would always try to not let people in if they tried to pass on the right you know this is terrible stuff you know but um not safe either you know even if even if like the, there's a, a thread of of rightness in there that was not safe or generous and so i i do catch myself still kind of doing that kind of stuff sometimes and i have to watch for it because um uh, Driving is actually a great place to uh, 
you know, be generous to people. <laughs> such there's so many opportunities, even in a short drive, to be kind to others. You know, so um, letting people in when they want to come in. You know, um, letting someone go. You know, like there's there's just lots of ways when you're driving to to seed ground. But another way to do it is also just letting people have their way or their preferences. You know, like if it, how, how many decisions are there in a day where you're you're talking to somebody and it's like, do you want to do this or that? You know, and um, I think we all want to do the thing we want to do, right, by definition. But, uh, you know, sometimes just letting other people have their way is a great way uh, of, of getting out of our attachment, you know. Um, so that's that's one suggestion. Um, another one I've, I've encountered a lot lately is uh, I think many of us have something against letting people help us. Uh, like whether it's because it reveals some kind of vulnerability or uh, we feel like it's some kind of imposition on other people, or maybe we're afraid if someone helps us, then they'll expect us to help them someday. And that somehow makes us uncomfortable. But I want to put out there that I think like <clears throat> a lot of times letting people help us is, is a really generous thing to do for them. You know, um, I mean, I think a lot of times uh, I mean, think about when you've wanted to help people and they wouldn't help you like you really wanted to help, you know. So I think we've all been in those situations. So I think one way of, of thinking about those situations, if you are in need, is that you're actually giving someone an opportunity for merit, you know, when you allow them to help you. So and, and then beyond that, too, there's also a connection, you know, in, in revealing a vulnerability. Like uh, when we, we, we I think in our culture, we try to not show vulnerability, but. Uh, but that's really how we connect with people is recognizing that we're all a little imperfect. So I think that's a good way to be generous too. revealing our vulnerabilities can help us build connection. And the last one I want to point out here is the generosity uh, of time to oneself for your practice, because there are so many things that we have to do in a day and we're so busy. And I think a lot of times meditation may get, uh, short shrift, you know, like we may have to squeeze it in to the day or something because we think there's so much other stuff we have to do. But one of the most generous things we can do for all beings is our practice, because it's only through attaining Buddhahood that we're going to be most able to benefit other beings. So we need to think about our time on the cushion also as being a, a time of great generosity towards others. Um, that's the best way we're going to be able to help other people. So I think that's an important one. And then, and lastly, I, I thought said that was the last one, but the last one too would be, I think also uh, just traditional Donna. Uh, and I wanted to bring this one up to say thank you to all the people who've supported my teaching this past year and a half since I got out of retreat and um, almost two years now. So um, thank you for that. I mean, that that's the only way I'm able to do this. So thank you to, to all people who've supported my teaching in particular and KTC and helping us to build the building, um, you know, that kind of generosity uh, benefits so many people, you know, so it's worth rejoicing in. And uh, to conclude, I want to mention that uh, in retreat, I asked Kempo Carter Rinpoche uh, about blessing because it felt a little bit like a uh, kind of, I, I just wasn't buying it. You know, like, what does that concept mean? Like, what is generosity? Um, and uh, what he said was, 
it's connection. Uh, and what he meant was he said that uh, thinking of cause and result, like if we're not connected with people, we can't actually benefit them. So blessing is a way of making a connection with uh, like when you, if you receive like a blessed cord at a refuge ceremony or something, that's a, a, a connection between you and in, in the enlightened lineage and these enlightened teachers. And that is a means of them benefiting you, you know? So similarly, when we are able to make connections with other beings, uh, we make, we, we lay the groundwork for actually being able to benefit them. So generosity is a great way to build connection too. Uh, and in that conversation, Kevin Carter Rinpoche said, this kind of blew me away. He said, our job, and one of the reasons why we need to build as much connection, positive connection as we can, is because our job is to liberate all the beings that the Buddha could not, because he didn't have the karmic connection to them. So we've got a pretty big job. That's something to think about. Um, I want to read one paragraph here from uh, Trungpa Rinpoche's uh, jewel ornament, and then I'll take questions. Uh, sorry, it's getting towards the end of the hour, but um, so Chang Rinpoche starts his chapter on the generosity by saying, uh, the reason generosity is taught first is because bodhisattvas need to act in a way that is beneficial to other beings. In order to really help other beings, they must first establish the right connection with others. They must have a positive relationship with people. What makes a relationship positive is to help in different ways, to help temporarily through giving them things they need, through giving them protection from fear, and through giving them the teachings. These different kinds of gifts or different ways of being generous will bring happiness and satisfaction to others. Once this feeling is established, it is possible to gradually lead them on the path of Dharma and finally to guide them until the achievement of the final, uh, the ultimate result, which is Buddhahood. That is why generosity is taught first since it provides the means to achieve this. But I wanted to read that last because it points out this connection thing. And it points out that the connection is positive. So thinking in terms of karma and habits, like we're making a connection, it's a positive connection. And that creates a tendency of positive connection between us and those beings and that connection leading towards Buddhahood. So um, I will, let's see. I'm taking a look at the chat right now. If anybody's got any questions, go ahead and type it in. Sorry, I, I talked a lot today. So um, if anybody needs to go, of course, you're welcome. But if anyone has any questions, I'm not in a hurry. Uh, I'll type in that tiny URL for that class. It's tinyurl.com slash karma kagyu course. There is a cost involved. I think it's like 90 bucks or something a year, but it's well worth it. I have a website, um, llamaadam.com, and there's a, there's a donate button there. So thank you very much, Shanti. Um, Karma Jimbasomo asks, is it appropriate to off, uh, offer money for life release on behalf of someone who has died a horrific death? Um, I think, yeah, I think that's great. Um, I've never heard a specific teaching about that, but um, I, that sounds fantastic to me. Um, 
Yeah. Sorry to hear that. Life release, if people don't know, that's a, a tradition uh, where, um, like the last time Kemba Carter Rinpoche was here in Columbus, uh, some people went out and bought a bunch of uh, bait worms, you know, so a bunch of little containers of bait worms. And there's pictures of Rinpoche blessing all the uh, all the containers and all the worms, and then you just release them. So it's uh, it's something that's uh, really common, I think, in, in Tibetan and, and maybe Chinese culture, too. Uh, but it's a great, it's literally saving lives, you know, I mean, that's the best thing you like we said earlier, like the best uh, active, you know, relative <clears throat> activity you can do is to is to save lives. And, um, but we had to be careful about that, too, because I have heard stories of uh, releasing animals into climates or environments where they uh, are just going to die, you know, so it is important to make sure you're, that you're releasing life in a place where the life can continue, you know, so it's something to think about. You're welcome. I wish I knew a little bit more about that, but I think that that's, I think that's a great idea. And I'm very glad that you thought of that. I think that's really good. Okay. Well, um, I appreciate all you guys spending your time here today with us. I hope that I gave you something good to take away and um, remember, uh, I, I try to remember the, uh, to mention this in the beginning, but I didn't. Uh, the three stages of practice, you just listen, you know. So the next stage of practice is contemplating. So that's the next thing you want to do with this information uh, is to, to take time and contemplate it and turn it over in your mind and examine it like the Buddha said, because that's how you'll generate that uh, real understanding. And that's how you can stabilize uh, the recognition of the truth of this stuff. And then the third step is meditating, which is sit down on the cushion and, and do your meditation, do whatever your practice is. That will really seal it. So those are the three stages, listening, contemplation, and meditation. So uh, please make sure to do those second two after our talk today. And um, I hope that I uh, said everything accurately. I confess any errors. Uh, any errors I may have made are my own, um, not my teacher's. Uh, this lineage is great and pure, and these teachings are so profound, and we're so fortunate to be um, to be around them, to be here for them. So uh, thank you, and um, I'll now chant a short dedication, and uh, I will do it in English. Through this merit, may beings obtain omniscience and defeating enemies, the defects of samsara, be liberated from the sea of existence, where the waves of birth, aging, sickness, and death shake violently. I fully dedicate all this virtue, following in my training the knowledge of the warrior Manjushri, and in the same way that of Samantra Bhadra and all the others. Through this virtue, may all beings gather the accumulations of merit and wisdom. May they attain the two supreme kayas that arise from merit and wisdom. Through the inspiration of the attainment of the Buddha's trikaya, of the unchanging truth of suchness, and of the unshakable intentions of the Sangha, may these aspirations be fulfilled as they were made. All right. Thank you, everybody. So good to see you all. I mean, I didn't see you, but soon enough. <laughs> Take care. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for this week's Dharma Talk. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. To learn more about the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling or to donate to support our Dharma Talk series, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. 
The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at tamdingarts.com. Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk.